Welcome, everyone. This is the Art of Product podcast. I'm your host, Derek Reimer. And today, Ben is on vacation for the 4th of July week. And so I thought it'd be fun to bring on one of the OG Drip crew members, Ian Nance. How's it going, Ian? Hi, everyone. Uh, Doing good. Cool. So Ian has been, you've been on the Drip team for about three years, if I'm doing the math right. Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Official three-year anniversary next month, maybe? Awesome. So I thought it'd be fun to talk a bit about uh, your backstory and how you got into software development, because I think it's a little bit uh, little bit unique. So why don't you tell us, what were you doing before you got into programming? Well, let's see. I guess before starting with Drift and before even being in programming, I was in, I went to graduate school for philosophy, and I you know, PhD in philosophy, and I was, so immediately before getting into it, I was working as an adjunct professor at uh, a couple places in Fresno, a couple different universities, as adjuncts do, you know. I mean, I guess for um, a number of reasons, decided that maybe it was worth looking into some other options there. I mean, um, partly because the sort of academic job market is, especially bad and partly because I had sort of personal constraints on it that were limiting my prospects. Like I, I wanted to stay in the area I was, which is like not a strategy you can really have. If you want to like yeah. Really have a go. Yeah, I remember it, you, you telling know? us when we were, when we were talking to you, I remember you saying that there were like, there's a handful of positions in the country and you kind of have to wait for someone to die to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to get one of those professorships. Right. <laughs> that's right. And, well, and, that's, and that's especially true if you're looking at like a small area, you know what I mean? There's like, I mean, in the like, if you want to stay in any particular area, there's like so many universities there. And yeah, exactly. You're just like, you can like name the people that you're waiting to retire or die or whatever. And, uh, yep. <laughs> um, and I don't know, like there were, you know, sort of other reasons that I thought about fiddling around with something else. And so, um, I honestly hadn't done much computer stuff, like really at all. I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, about, <laughs> that's the thing that blows my mind about your story is like most of the time when people are, self-taught developers or get into it later on they've at least been like tinkering around with it as a hobby you know on the side or just doing it kind of in their job already but i don't think you did either of those so do you remember what it was that like got you interested I in mean, the first place so i had i fiddled around like way back like in high school you know i'd taken classes and, and done programming i mean this is in like in basic and pascal and stuff so it was like you know it was a long time back and um and I mean, I'd really like, oh yeah, I had a, you know, I had a TI-83 that I wrote programs on, you know, so it was like, <laughs> I fiddled with some of that, but then I had sort of just been away from it for a long time. I think, I think it definitely helped that I, well, I'd done, you know, a fair amount of like mathematical logic and whatnot is part of my philosophical <laughs> training or whatever. And, and I mean, I did, I like had a sort of special interest in that for part of graduate school. And so like, you know, I hadn't written a function you know, for a computer in years, but I'd like, you know, fiddled around with like the Lambda calculus and I don't know, you know, it's like there were, there were a bunch of concepts that like, you know, would turn out to be useful programming concepts that I was like, had been thinking about, you know, during my lead up to actually getting into any practical application of it um, that I think was, yeah, that helped a lot, you know? That's kind of the sense that I've gotten. Like, I remember when, so the first time I met you, I was teaching a rails class through the local like training academy in fresno and you just happened to take the class and at the time we were sponsored drip was sponsoring a rails class in order to 
basically find and create some junior developers to hire on the team because we weren't really having much luck finding, you know, any Rails developers in the Fresno area. The the market has gotten a little better now, but it's still pretty, pretty small. So, um, yeah, I remember you being in that class and I think it was like near the end. And as things go after a six week class, the, the numbers kind of dwindled. And I recall like it was on the final day and we were, we were basically building a Twitter clone throughout the course of the class. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Flutter. I think. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) I thought it'd be a fun exercise on the last day to try to construct the, um, the query to build like the timeline. So, you know, tweets of people you follow and people who follow you and, and kind of like all the joins involved with that. So it was you and one other guy who showed up to the last day and uh, we were working through the problem at a certain point. I was like, so you're familiar with SQL, right? And you're like, actually, no, I've never even used it. But we managed to like construct inner joins and like some crazy like grouping. I don't know. It, and that's what blew my mind. I was like, where, where is this guy <laughs> figuring out how to do this stuff if you've never actually seen the concept? So do you feel like it's like a lot from philosophy training? That was like the before getting back into doing any development stuff. I think that did like, yeah, sort of lead the way, like thinking a lot about mathematical logic and these philosophical questions about foundations of mathematics. But, you know, you got to fiddle around with like a bunch of set theory and things to even like approach them rigorously or whatever. And so I'd done a bunch of that. And then between that and getting into that um, Rails course, I had done some more, I'd actually done some like programming stuff. Um, like, But it was all like, I did a number of courses online. I went through, but I went through Udacity and did a, several sort of online courses, starting with an introduction and then getting into some other, I don't know, just sort of filling things out. Um, some of that stuff was getting more and more familiar by the time I got into, I was in that, the Rails course that you were teaching. And I think that was maybe my fourth class I'd taken through that local development training thing too. So, you know, just by being in those other courses and, you know, Googling things when they come up and stuff, I was like slowly filling in a bunch of gaps uh, (laughs) that um, about how this stuff like works in in practice or whatever. Yeah. Was there ever a moment where you thought like that you couldn't actually translate what you were learning into an actual job? Or did you always think that like the skills you were building would, would land you into a career in software development? You know, I I guess I'm not, I don't know. I think I went back and forth. Like, I mean, I guess it was like, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to get ahead of myself when I, you know, signed up for whatever intro to computer programming through Udacity. I wasn't like, well, the yeah. job is surely in my near future, you know, like, right. I was like, okay, trying to be realistic about it. But I don't know, I think, um, getting into, honestly, it was probably in those courses, those in-person courses at the, the little training center in Fresno that like really helped shift gears for me into like seeing how this could really be like a practical thing. I mean, cause the other thing about, sorry, so like, you know, in taking those online courses, they were very, they were like real interesting, but they were still a kind of at least one level of abstraction up from doing an actual, like working in a development job, you know, because it was like, it's all in this little interface and you're learning all the programming stuff. But in terms of like, you know, what are the tools that an actual, you know, working developer uses to like, you know, get through their day like that stuff I didn't really get exposed to until those like live classes like the one you taught and so I think maybe once I started getting into those and seeing like and well yeah I don't know yeah you start seeing some examples of like oh here's like 
some real thing that someone has built. And I think I see more or less how parts of that got built. And so I don't see any reason I couldn't build parts of something like that myself. You know what I mean? Like, you know, a good moment, <laughs> now that I think about it, um, where I sort of felt like this was going to be a good fit or whatever. And it was actually, it was in the interview I did with, for, after the, that Rails course, I interviewed with, with you and Rob for the, for the job you were interviewing people in the course. And I remember there was a point where um, I think Rob was, you know, interested in sort of like, it wasn't like a technical interview at all. I mean, I'd just been through the course. And so you sort of like were familiar with what I could do. Yeah, it was essentially do. a six-week technical interview yeah. <laughs> leading up to <laughs> exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so the, the, the interview where Rob was actually there, I think he was sort of feeling out personality and some of this other stuff. And, um, you know, just seeing like how I'd fit on the team and, and all that kind of business. I mean, it's a very small team. It was mostly, yeah. Um, but um, I remember him asking, how are you going to handle... You know, when you've got to like sit in there and dig into something for just like hours at a time. And like, I remember thinking, well, is that like a thing that people have to handle? Because for whatever reason, that just like comes very naturally, you know? Um, like, I've been doing it like, you know, in working on projects for these courses and all this kind of stuff that like it wasn't even like the idea that it's like, oh, here's some task that's going to require you to like concentrate on these like, you know, noodly programming details for like, you know, several hours in a, at a stretch. And I was like, yeah, that's, that sounds like a delight, frankly. I mean, I don't know what, you know, I think he seemed satisfied with that answer too. And so I was like, okay, yeah, this is like, yeah, there's like a sort of temperamental fit or I don't know, whatever aspects of personality are involved or like, this is going to, yeah, it, it like feels good to do it. Like there's like a part of your brain that's just sort of getting massaged when you're doing that kind of work. And if it's like satisfying for you, then like, that's a very good sign that, you know, like if that's your job all day, you're going to have like, you know, reasonable job satisfaction, you know, <laughs> like as long as people are leaving you alone, otherwise, you know, like it's pretty good. Yeah. There's a bunch of good stuff from that, from the way you were thinking about the process. I mean, one, I think a lot of people feel like they either have to have a CS degree or they have to have some kind of like special training that they're never going to be able to achieve, or it's going to be really difficult to achieve when really it's all about like, you get out what you put into it, you know? So like you, you put in the work, um, you started taking online classes, you took this class in person and you just, you kind of believed that you could do it from the get go. Like there, which is good. Like some may say that's naive, but it's actually not because that's reality for at least for software development. Like the more concepts you teach yourself, you're constantly adding to your toolkit. And, you know, before long, you kind of have a set of marketable skills that, are, uh, are going to be really attractive to to any company, you know? Oh, I was just going to say, this is like along the same lines and thinking about when this sort of felt realistic is like, I think another thing that was nice about interacting with people through the, the local academy and the in-person stuff is you see these people, other people who are already, like yourself, like who are already working these kinds of jobs and you see how they approach problems and whatnot and... Well, so I have in mind, like, I mean, I don't know, probably in the very first class, I realized that, you know, when the instructor was, like, not sure about something, well, they just, like, Googled it and, you know, started looking on Stack Overflow. And I was like, well, hey, that's what I do. <laughs> you know, like, oh, that's actually, like, normal practice for grown-up developers. You know what I mean? And so, um, I don't know, seeing um, that little window into sort of real the real life of a developer was helpful for making it seem less, like, um, insurmountable, you know, like, oh, you know, they're, they're, those are like all fancy people who know so much more than me and it'd be like impossible for me to enter that. And it's like, 
they, they, these people definitely know a lot more than me and everything, but it's like I see the, I, I see the rope there, the, the route they climbed up, and there's no reason I can't sort of do the same thing, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's like we all happen to have, we have a certain amount of, like, information cached in our heads where it's like, okay, maybe we have like the core low level APIs of rails kind of memorized where we can like quickly access them. They're right there in the front of our minds. Cause we work them all the time. But if you were, if any of us were to spend like three to six months or maybe, I don't know, somewhere thereabouts working in a different technology stack. And then we jump back over to rails. I mean, we may be like, we would probably be doing a lot more Googling regardless of how experienced you are as a developer, you know, the part that sticks with you is the uh, is the problem solving capability. I mean, it's less tangible, I guess, but um, and I think that's something that you happen to have like really sharpened through your you know studying for philosophy. You know, and this just goes to show it doesn't have to be uh, you know computer science that you study to to kind of hone those skills. I myself, I was not a uh, computer science major; I was a math major, so I kind of had similar similar backgrounds to you, where like. You know, I spent a lot of time in college working through like mathematical proofs and set theory and linear algebra and like some of these disciplines that do in a in a certain way line up with with fundamentals of programming. So I, I think some of the funnest times I've had working on drip is when we're you and I are standing in front of a whiteboard and maybe we're like working on some new uh optimization strategy for the subscriber filter or something like that. And it's like, I remember one time we were standing there and like, all right, let's write out a truth table. And I'm like, yes, this is going to be good because <laughs> <laughs> we're getting down the truth tables. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that is like a good example, actually, of like almost any time you're going to do some, some significant problem or you're going to plan out some significant piece of architecture. It doesn't even have to be super huge. It's like the first level you start at usually is like, several levels above any particular like programming language. You know what I mean? Like the first things that go on the whiteboard are definitely not Ruby code. You know what I mean? Like um, there's like a much higher level of like, what, okay, what I need to grasp what this is like going to look like and you know, how this is going to be broken up. And like, there's a whole process of like moving from that all the way down to eventually you got to write, you know, some specific codes of specific language, but like, yeah, there's a whole journey on the way. Yeah. And a whole set of skills getting exercised before the like, yeah, the stuff that you might need to Google comes up. I think it's been a good lesson, like from the position of leading the team and looking for, you know, new people to add to the team. It's been it's made it really clear that it's much more important to look for that uh, love of problem solving and, you know, people who kind of get a high off of um, going deep like that and looking for that much more than looking for like, you know, how proficient are you in Ruby? Because the Ruby proficiency actually really doesn't matter that much. Like, you may be the best Ruby coder in the world, but if you can't problem solve, then, you know. That's right. How far yeah. are you going to get, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, you've, been, you've been doing a lot of, well, I think you started a couple years ago doing kind of technical support, like the next line of defense, you know, when any, anytime anything gets escalated to the point where we need to look in code. Um, do you kind of get the same enjoyment out of troubleshooting customer problems? You know, I mean, a lot of them, because a lot of them, well, especially now, because um, now I'm like one level back on technical support. So there's one support engineer sort of in front of me. And so if it comes to me, it's probably some kind of weird bug or something that's going to be sort of fun to dig into, you know? Uh, I mean, not everyone is fun. Like, if it, 
it like involves time zones or something. I still like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> every developer like, curses. Shave my, <laughs> my fist when I like, I, like, yeah. I can just like feel it coming where it's like, Oh, I see. I'm going to have to look at this annoying bit of code. Um, no, definitely. Like, I mean, yeah, a lot of it, like, um, especially like customer problems end up being technical problems. And so, yeah, those are like, pretty often fun to dig into. That's also, um, since you mentioned it, like that's really, I think, ended up for me being like an invaluable part of my uh, on the job education is doing the support stuff because it meant that it was like requiring me to sort of like over time, like look at, even if I'm not like directly modifying, but like trying to figure out stuff in like every part of the app. And so that meant um, a whole lot of different stuff and pieces and moving parts and like, um, just different stuff that I had to look at, you know what I mean? And it's like, if, um, if I'd just been doing regular development as like a junior developer where, you know, I'm just like, um, you know, here's a little task, something small that you can build and I build it, you know, I would definitely have, like, I did that too. And like, that's, you learn from that. Absolutely. But, um, I think having to like, you know, there's a problem over here and it's like, I've never even looked at this. What is this? And so like, I got to sort out, okay. And now I'm learning a whole bunch of stuff along the way about like, um, obviously about the particular application I'm working in. But again, at that one level up of abstraction, it's like, Oh, okay. This is how you, this is another strategy for laying out some, you know, architecting some classes and you know, whatever else is, whatever you need to be figuring out. It's like, um, having to bounce around to every part of things and, um, dig into stuff in every little area, I think, like, really um, up to the sort of learning curve for me in terms of, like, figuring out how everything, yeah, how everything works in a real application. Yeah, these days, Drip is a, you know, many thousands of lines of code. I'm not sure if we're up to 100,000 lines of code or not, because we, Rails tends to be a little more concise than other languages, but... Uh, well, it's a lot of code. So there's a lot of different subsystems. And I suspect you might understand some of the code I wrote better than I do at this point, because you've probably troubled, you've probably troubleshooted it. <laughs> it one, one thing that's nice about like hunting for um, bugs or figuring out, I don't know, some customer issue or something is like, yeah, I do have to like do sometimes, you know, just like do very low level walkthroughs of every step in something that, that otherwise might not get you know, walk through, you know, and it's like, there's test covers and everyone's sort of looking at it, and, you know, but like, yeah, sometimes those little weird little details only come out because somebody has some issue. Or, I mean, yeah, I guess that's like the edge cases come out of real life. It's sort of the, yeah. I think perhaps one of your most valuable, like, mindset characteristics is that I've never heard you say, um, you know, well, that's just impossible. It can't, it can't be doing that. You know, if we like see some evidence, you know, you're pretty relentless about getting to the root of the problem. And, and I think that's, you know, that's something that all of us can learn from probably <laughs> because. Yeah. There's like a part of my brain where it's just like a, a, a phenomenon without an explanation. It's just very itchy. And it's like, no, there's some reason it's doing that, you know, like, and, and, and it's like, even if it's intermittent, it's like somehow somewhere there's like some explanation for this. And like, yeah, it's like, I'll, I'll like, really dig around until I can scratch it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think customers have remarked before, you know, who, who've used drip, like, my gosh, how do you guys have so few bugs? And I know that like, from our perspective, we all see the bugs and we know that 
Drip is definitely not bug-free software, and there's always minor bugs here and there. But on the We're whole, I think under certain we, circumstances, sometimes yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe affecting a small subset of customers, i.e., all right. of them. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, I think overall, we, I think the reason the software feels so bugless in general is because we haven't tended to let those little things slip through. It's like. If it's like a, a an intermittent thing that that happens very rarely, some teams might just say, "Well, we'll just chalk that up to you know random intermittent." You know, it does that sometimes? Factor. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, where I think you know we, we kind of go the extra mile and uh, it pays off for sure. And you know, I think that's true even when because this I feel like this pattern happens once in a while too, where it's like. You can realize, understand what's happening, like you, you get the explanation, and then once you have the explanation, you're like, okay, either this is a low-priority fix, or this is like a real fix for this rare intermittent problem would involve like a pretty big refactor, so it's going to have to be pushed down the line a little bit. That's, that definitely happens, but that is different than, as you say, is like, well, it just happens sometimes without really knowing what it is, because... Um, yeah, even having a catalog of all those issues, like um, understood issues, yeah, that just helps keep things running smoothly because, you know, sometimes those little things connect to some other little thing that happens later and you're like, ah, oh, I remember that bug came up over here and okay, now it is time to do that refactor or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think we have some issues filed that's like, and it's not even necessarily a bug. It's just a behavior, like some some operator in our con- criteria. I don't even remember what it is exactly, but I know there's some operator that behaves in a in a way that's not necessarily intuitive. But one could argue that, you know, it's perhaps operating in the right way right now. So it's like kind of a judgment call. And there's like some, you know, potential to break existing things. So I know we have this issue filed and it's like we're still kind of on the fence of whether we're going to fix it or not, but at least it's known to us. So anytime there's a question, you know, like someone else happens to recognize it in the wild and emails to support, we at least have like an ongoing document issue for it. You know, you and I were sitting, you were out in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago visiting. Um, and we were sitting on a rooftop, just kind of BSing about code. And I mentioned Elm and you said, Oh yeah, I was just checking out Elm the other week. How do you find, how do you discover new technology? Um, like that, and are there any others you've been looking at? I was just reading some some blog or something. I don't have like a um, a real consistent fixed practice where I'm like, okay, you know, I listen to these podcasts every week and I read these blogs and I try. You know, it's like it's a little more organic. You know, I'm just like poking around, thinking about stuff. Or, you know, like you know, I, I think uh, I read some you know, blog posts that sort of just convinced me it was like worth a look and you know loaded up the the um, tutorial um there was some internal discussion of, of getting elixir going as um part of uh trip in the future and so i've been little bits of like dipping toes in there and starting to feel around and stuff so um i don't know yeah i guess it's kind of a mix of that it's like sometimes um you know driven by things you just come across other times yeah, like um, now, especially now that we've got like a, a larger team and whatever, there's like a whole bunch of people that have like, you know, uh, stuff they might, even if it's stuff they just mentioned or like, you know, you know, an older project, I remember we used this and I'm like, oh, I should, maybe I should look that up and <laughs> see what that's about. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You still have an inherent curiosity for technology. 
I feel I think like. so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's a good, healthy thing to have. And yeah, I mean, in my playing around with Elm, um, so listeners of this podcast know that Ben has been pitching me on checking out Elm lately because it's a, it's a pretty functionally pure programming language. Like it's along the lines of Haskell. And so it has a static type system and a compiler. So if you, if you write code and you, you have to specify your types and if your types don't align, it just won't compile. So it almost like eliminates the need for a lot of the types of tests you would write in a more dynamic language like Ruby. It does have like the ability to pass functions around as their own types. And so it's like, it's pretty pure on the, on the functional scale of things. Does that type of language speak to you? I feel like that would align well with the way you conceptualize the world of programming. Um, Yeah, I think maybe so. Like Ruby is, yeah, by far my main day to day for, for several years now that like, I've definitely got my head switched into that space most of the time, like, or, yeah, sort of more object oriented thing. But um, it's almost like, <laughs> I, I think I share that intuition and I like, want to fiddle around with it and find out if it's true that I think that will feel a little, I think that does feel very normal. So I, I guess before I did Ruby, I mentioned I'm doing all these online classes and um, those were almost all in, uh, in Python, which is like, yeah, not like pure functional, but like some of what I was doing in there had a more functional flavor than, than like I think my day-to-day Ruby stuff in Drip. And, and that, yeah, I think it is, um, that is pretty natural. I don't know. I, yeah, maybe it's just a matter of taste or something. And I've learned to like be okay with different flavors of things. But I am kind of, the Elixir thing um, was interesting because that, yeah, I, I think, um, I do want to see what my brain feels like on a functional uh, on, a, on, on, on a functional setup. And functional and immutability. I think I think like anytime we um, I find like a lot of the bugs we're diagnosing or just odd behavior has to do with mutability, where you can take you can take an object in Ruby and change its internal state, and now like that has unintended side effects. And I think one of the things you'll find really nice about Elixir. Is that one? It feels very Rubyish, so it's kind of like a gateway into functional from Ruby land, you know. And and then also it has like immutable data structures, like nothing. You can never mutate state. You always have to, you know, either reassign the pointer to the variable you're working with, or just pass a new value. You know, I've been playing a fair amount with Elixir just on the side, just because I'm in a phase right season right now. Where I want to be exploring new technologies and not not get like stuck in my ways and being like I'm only a Ruby developer, you know. Yeah, the functional languages are definitely uh, have my attention right now. <laughs> Do you have any other tips for someone who is maybe in the position you were back three years ago when you're looking to make a career shift um, to get into software development? So first, there's uh, there's like so much online, you know, like there's so many resources like for you know all the different little code schools and academies, and there's a million things where you can learn some of that. And so like that's that definitely I don't know. Maybe it depends on your personality. But for me, that was definitely the place to start. And that's like really good for getting yourself up there. The other thing is I think it is really valuable to like get, find some way that you can like start interacting with people that are doing it for real. You know, like for me, it was like that local academy was um, 
really great in filling that role because like the instructors and the other students, you know, like, um, and that's good for um, a bunch of reasons. Like, first of all, like I was saying earlier, it gets you um, in touch with the sort of practical on the ground tools that, you know, people are actually using that you might not be exposed to if you're just doing, you know, coding focused courses online, you know, um, and then second is like, I think it really helps with, um, like we were talking about the, the sort of mindset thing where it's like, can I do this? And, um, you know, if you don't have like a, a, you know, rich background in computer science, you know, you're going to be susceptible to this kind of imposter syndrome where you're like feeling like you're not like, Oh, I'm not actually even a real programmer. How could you do this? And so at least for me, and I think this is, this has got to help everybody that, getting in touch with some real people and seeing how they operate and what they know and what they don't, at least for me, that's really helpful for um, moving past some of that because like seeing that they're seeing that the, the people who are doing these jobs for real and getting paid money to do them and whatever, they're not like wizards or something that have access to secrets that you can never touch. It's like, they're like smart people who've done a lot of work and spent a lot of time, but like, once these, once they're sort of humanized, then it feels like, yeah, the, the, some of the psychological barriers that, well, I don't know, for me, that helped break some of those down. Like, no, this is like a real thing that, yeah, I could do too. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I, I know I asked you, sprung it on you last minute. So um, glad you could make it on. And this was, uh, this was a fun conversation. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So this, uh, this show was produced and edited by Podcast Motor. If you'd like to access the show notes, you can head to artofproductpodcast.com, and we'll see you next time.